0: Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Alright ladies and gentlemen, I am excited to sit down. Finally, this ill-fated chat has been booked so many times and then cancelled so many times like a snow day for kids. Finally we're here with Chris Wazel. Chris, very excited to sit down with you today talk some hockey. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I mean, look, I haven't seen, well, this is the closest to winter that we've seen probably since the start of winter, so um, somebody send snow our way, like a real snowstorm, before like I
0: start getting major winter withdrawal here. <laughs> well, we're on Halifax doing this right now, talking to you, and we have had our fair share of snow, but it melts rather quickly, but... Nothing to yep. complain about, but we definitely got our dose of winter, so the withdrawals aren't there for me. And I don't know, maybe shoveling a few times will probably take it away for you too.
1: Nah, not yet. <laughs> it, hasn't, it hasn't for years. You'd think it would, but no. No, no not
0: yet. <laughs> well, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. Obviously, you're great to uh, to talk hockey with. And uh, i got to ask you a question right out of the gate. What did you think last night about the Battle of Alberta?
1: Uh, That was a lot of fun. I mean, I I know some people don't like to use the word or term "old time hockey," but come on, you you had to sit back and just go, "Ah, this is good. This is the good stuff." Uh, You know, grudges, players wanting to literally rip their heads off. I mean, it, it 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 brings back memories to where used to be, but also mixed some of the new hockey as well and you saw a higher scoring game which was nice as well uh, along, along with the skill level and yeah, maybe one slightly missed call, but yeah I, yeah, Connor McDavid, I'm feeling you there I mean, I, I, I get it um, Welcome to Nico Hishier's world every night um, The same
0: Yeah, for me, I like the fact that there's a little bit of juice back. I mean, I talked with Rob Rees last week. You know, adding juice to rivalries is something that needs to come back a little bit. And I'm I'm not afraid to say, you know, some good old-time hockey because, you know, that's what gets everybody engaged. You know, the big hits, the answer back, the pushing, the shoving after the whistles, the scrums, dropping the mitts every once in a while, you know, the chirping back and forth and not liking each other. I liken it back to the uh, Colorado-Detroit days, the Toronto and Ottawa days in the playoffs. Um, you know, those things, I feel, add the extra element, and it's not forced by, like, the media adding, you know, oh, it's the uh, the Battle of Ontario, or it's Montreal-Toronto historic rivals who haven't played each other in the playoffs in forever, and really, other than the fact that it's pushed as a narrative, really, they're not that big of rivals right now. I mean, I can name three other teams that Toronto would be more rivals with, like Boston, uh, Buffalo, and Ottawa, but, you know, for me, I like when there's organic juice that starts flowing, and when Chuck went after Cassian last game, you knew it was going to be a response this game, and I'm all for it. I want this stuff in hockey. I'm wondering for you, is there a line, do you think, that was crossed in the first game by T'Chuck on Cassian, and do you think that Cassian should have got a suspension, or should have been left just on the ice the way it was? Yeah, it's funny, I mean, <clears>
1: T'Chuck <throat> crossed a little bit of a line and crossed a little bit of a line. You know, even if you sat there and you tossed you a game to each, just said, hey, you know what? Here's a message. Don't post crap again. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot more, and you, and, and you'll leave it. Uh, these are the types of, again, views that you want to see a little bit more in the league. You have to think about what were the things back in the 90s and 2000s that generated ratings? Well, for lack of a better term, we had, in the 2000s, we had the infamous, or famous, depending on your philosophy, uh, Philadelphia Ottawa brawl that had like 409 penalty minutes in the third period alone. Yep. Uh, and that is still, among Philly Flyer broadcasts, the highest rated broadcast in the last 25 years in Philadelphia.
0: And why? Because the 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 Higher than
1: Stanley Cup final game, mind
0: you. Yeah, when you start adding those elements of juice and and things like that, people want to watch. Eyeballs get tuned in. You know, it's must-see TV. What was everybody saying about last night about the Battle of Alberta? Everybody wanted to tune in. Everybody was waiting to see what the response was going to be. And why? Because there was that added element of, oh, this is going to be good. The hockey will be good because you have one of the best players on the planet in Connor McDavid. And then you have the rivalry between the Chuck and, of course, Cassian. But then you have the comments made by Dreisaitl and McDavid that they wouldn't play with the Chuck in the All-Star game. And there's a whole bunch of different little jabs going on. And I've, you know what? It tunes people in. So it doesn't surprise me that that Philly game had the highest ratings. It doesn't surprise me one bit. And if it happened today, again, it would have the ratings the same way.
1: Exactly. This is the thing that people have to realize, uh, even... You know, even like 2011, 2012, 2013 with the Pittsburgh-Philly rivalry in, in, in consecutive years. I mean, look, you two, now that was an entirely different reason to tune in. You tuned in to see just how many goals the goalies would give up in the first 10 minutes.
0: Yep. I
1: mean, but it still had a physical aspect to it that probably got lost in it just because of the offense. It was, again, it anything that gets the fans to tune in regularly.
0: That's just it?
1: get their eyeballs glued. And that's, that's, why, that's what happens when I mean, you have these things called rivalries. It's something that the NHL simply kind of has ignored over the last 10 years.
0: Well, the NHL will be the first one to tell you that's why they did all those divisional games to you know help force the rivalries, but I don't think that does it. I think you need teams to, like I said, organically come across it. And there's just teams that don't like each other. But making teams play each other six to eight times a year, depending on what calendar you're going by, sometimes it's not going to manufacture itself because there's nothing there. There's nothing of importance. This year, the reason why the Battle of Alberta's got a little bit more juice too is because both teams are hunting for first overall in their division. So they don't want to let the other guy get one up on them. you You
1: have a completely jammed race in the Pacific, which any team out of five can win? I mean, five points separating five teams. I mean, come on, this is, what, what, what is the Pacific think this is? The Metropolitan from the last several years? I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean.
0: You know what? I, I mean, you,
1: you, you kid and joke about it, but it, it's a fun and anything race. I mean, just looking at like, I was looking at the other day with the guys from NHL.com, and the first thing he said, it's like, God, all it takes is a, is a bad week from one of these teams, and they're fifth? Wow.
0: I mean, well, that's the way I look at it right now with the Maple Leafs. You look at them. I mean, they go and lose, you know, two or three games, and all of a sudden you're you're on the outside looking in, having to catch up by four points. Yeah, the the
1: the, the East is nuts. I mean, you, you look at you, you, you figure. Yes, you and Toronto at sixty one points. You have Carolina at sixty one points, and if you want to go up a little bit further, New York New York, you know, the Islanders are at sixty three. Uh, we'll, we'll just we'll just call Tampa Bay safe now. Just yeah, they, they've,
0: they've turned uh, on the switch, I think.
1: Yeah, the, the, the switch has been turned on just enough. Uh, but you, you figure the Islanders are starting to slide back. Columbus has gotten so hot that they're now in the that, – that's still one of the more unbelievable stories of the year that's just not getting
0: – that's, That's kind of an entire practice. team that has bought into the like the Golden Knights when they first were the Golden Misfits for the yep. first year. This Columbus team is just a team of saying, "Hey, you counted us out. I'd like to say, you know, hold my beer for a moment. We're still a hockey club. We still have talent, and we're going to show you what we can do." And Jonas Kopitar before he got hurt was doing amazing. Elvis has come in, and guess what? Elvis is in the building cuz he is rocking. And then you just you look at the whole squad. They'd run through a brick wall for John Tortorella. So I mean, I don't know. Columbus has a lot to prove, and they're out to prove it. Just like I said about gold, the Golden Knights the first year, so it seems like that story is repeating itself, but in a different way.
1: Yeah, it it has that look where hmm, it, you don't know what these guys would do once they make the playoffs. But man, is it going to be a fun first round if they get Tampa again? I mean, <laughs> could you imagine? Just you imagine the look on Tampa's face just like them again, really. <laughs> like what did we do to this and it could legitimately happen i mean uh,
0: but i think there's something to be said about peaking at the right time and i think tampa last year i don't mean to keep going back to rob but talking to him we were speaking about Mm -hmm. the fact that tampa kind of peaked you know all season long they're the best team then you get to the playoffs and obviously everybody turns it into the second gear when you've been already you know coasting basically because you rule the league so then you're you're going in against a team that was fighting to get in, and now they just steamroll you because they're they're already up on that gear, they're revving high engine, and you're trying to get yourself you know out of neutral.
1: And the one the one big thing that got lost last year was very late in the season Tampa Bay's penalty kill went south <laughs>
0: over the final
1: ten games, and nobody really thought anything of it because again it's like oh they're they're playing Columbus. Columbus had a bottom third power play. You figured, now it's the, Columbus goes five for their first ten on the power play in early in the series and it's like, well, they we are wrong. Uh, I mean, there, there was no other way to slice or dice it that's like, yep, you're we wrong. And, that's the type of thing that could happen again. Tampa's still having a little bit of an issue with their penalty kill at times. Uh, but not as not as much as uh, they did late last year. So they've
0: they righted that at least. No, like I said, I I think it's it's more of a fact that they had to learn their lesson. They learned their lesson last okay. year. They were almost like um, I'd say a, a punished child. You know, after they've gotten something taken yeah. away from them throughout the beginning of the season, and now it's like now it's like they finally realize, hey, maybe if we smarten up a little bit, we can still be a dominant team, and we can gel together and get this done. But well, there's a lot of talk about poison in that locker room and guys not getting along. I mean, you can go back to uh, Kucherov and Kalorn, what Kucherov said in the Russian newspaper about Kalorn, and then you uh, you can go as far as Stampco saying, you know, what he said about the room this year. So, I don't know. Hopefully, they can all put it yes. together.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely an interesting dynamic there. But
0: you
1: know, they often say it: winning cures everything.
0: Oh, it does. You're winning.
1: It suddenly those
0: Spurs those seem to quiet Very quickly So a team that I want to ask you about It's probably pretty close to you It's the New Jersey Devils um, This squad came into the season Basically um, you know, One that was going to contend Had all the pieces, looked like everything was put together Properly, looked like the roster Was going to entice T- Taylor Hall to stay I'm wondering in, in your uh, Opinion, what happened there and why didn't it work?
1: Well, it was 4 nothing New Jersey, game one of the season. And I had somebody from one of the Winnipeg Beats, I won't say who, and I took one look at them and said, oh, God, it's only going to take one bounce for this to go south because for as well as they're playing, they're really not. And sure enough, lo and behold, uh, Dmitry Kulikov scores a late second period goal off something that was like a seeing-eye shot that Kulikov would never nail in a month of Sundays. And I went into the second intermission thinking, oh, God, how will this go south? Sure enough, uh, unfortunately, Corey Snyder pulls something, then gets cramps on top of it, has to come out. The game snowballs from there, and Winnipeg wins in a shootout. That was the season. New Jersey never recovered from game one. And that, as much as people will hate to admit this, is on the head coach and the coaching staff. There is no way that one game should have defined the season, and it did. Because everything that happened afterwards, especially early on, was a microcosm of that of late in that first game then the Devils couldn't score then when they scored they couldn't they couldn't stop anybody then the penalty kill went belly up then taylor hall just stopped scoring you know goals you looked and and then for final insult, pk Subban suddenly forgot how to fire a slap shot on the power play
0: yeah he hasn't looked good in new jersey
1: the one thing that they have that they have been trying to constantly get him to do, and he's, he started to do it in the last 10, 12 games, and not surprisingly, his play has been much better. The shot is not meant to necessarily score all the time. It is meant to generate rebounds and other chances, which yep. means, in short, hit the damn net. Um, it's not a knock against PG; that's just... Sometimes that's how it goes. The shot starts going wayward. It did with Shea Weber for a while. I mean, there's there's a few segments of seasons where, like, Weber went 25, 30 games, and you could count the amount of shots that stayed lower than 12 inches with two hands. Yeah. I mean, you know, the shot was just going all over the place.
0: Well, we had a guy in Toronto who did the same thing named Dion Phaneuf.
1: Yes. Dion was the king of high and wide. Uh, so is Brian Ralston, but he was a forward. So we kind of have to give him the pass. Well, no, 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 we don't. Uh, but, but the line with Subban is that that was a big part why Stanley Vatman replaced him on the first unit power play. Stanley Vatman shot like probably a good five, to eight miles per hour slower, but he hit the net and he hit it often. And when you hit it above 55, 60% of the time on the power play and, the other supposed first unit power play defense hitting it about 35 to 40. Hmm, who am I going to go with? I'm going to go with the guy that maybe has a little slower shot but is a, a lot more accurate. And that's, that's what happened. So you, you had that dynamic. You had a defense that couldn't stop anything. You had an assistant coaching staff that seemed to have no solution or John Hines was so stubborn to play his system that it just kept snowballing. And it doesn't take much. I mean, look, it's taken New Jersey forever in a day to climb out of the hole they were in. And they're still in a huge hole. I mean, look, they're not, look, realistically, the goal is to somehow get the 500 for them. It, it, it really is. That's how far of a hole they dug. And they may not even get there, but at least some sort of respectability in the second half can, can be, can at least be achieved. Um, uh, but so many things went wrong that the few things that did go right got got outshined on this team, and then obviously the Taylor. You have you have Ray holding on to John Hines too long, probably, yep. which did not help. Um, you, you could see that you could see even the numbers. I mean, even if you didn't look at the advanced stat numbers, if you just looked at regular straight hockey numbers, just just the simple ones, chance created, um, you know. Kill it, you know, penalties allowed, that sort of thing. Just the simple, even the simple numbers. You could see it was not working in New Jersey. And then if you put the advanced stats in as an overlay, you're going, oh, my God, four out of five years, this team is underperformed. Yeah. I know some will say no, but particularly this year, New Jersey severely underperformed their expectations. Honestly, I have them as a bubble team in the East. For a reason, and yep. that was their de- that was their that was their defense. The defense was a concern. It's actually better now because of what is in. Even though the numbers say no, they are better off because they're allowed to be more free offensively. So it's it's sort of like the Chicago Blackhawks last year, where they suddenly just said, "Well, screw it, we're giving up a ton of goals." We're just going to play more offensively. We're going to still give up a ton of goals, but at least we're going to score more.
0: We're going to try to score our problems.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only thing that New Jersey doesn't have that Chicago had was a mind-blowing turn on the power play. Yeah, New Jersey's has actually gotten even worse, if that's possible. And that's yet another reason why it's gone so badly. You figured... A team with Taylor Taylor Hall and some pretty good surrounding talent would have a halfway decent power play. They're they're approaching thirty first and quickly, and that should not that that still should not be happening. So there's still many problems.
0: No, it doesn't seem like New Jersey's going to be digging itself out. And I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, trying to get to respectability. But I'm wondering if this team's going to do that um, with the fact that you have players like Vatnin and others, Simmons, uh, another one that are UFAs at the end of the year, um, and you may want to recoup assets for them. I'm wondering, who do you see going out on the trade deadline, or do these guys just stand pat and do nothing?
1: It, it, it's tough because the, the question you have to ask yourself right now is, amongst, amongst sellers and buyers, who, do the Devils have anything that could fetch them a good return? And you start going down the list. Okay, uh, Batnick is such a decent return. Yep. Okay. After that, Andy Green's not going anywhere. He will. He will. He will not waive. Uh, Travis Ajax has been asked a bunch of times. Even when Lou Lamoureux was still GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, he waived that. He would not waive his no-trade clause at least twice, that we know of. Um, he would not waive it earlier this year. And that happened at least twice. So you figure they Jack has been approached at least a, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of four to eight times by the devils over the last two plus seasons. And he has, he has not waived it, but so he's not going anywhere and he probably will take a small deal to stay in New Jersey next year. Uh, the same will probably go for Andy Green as well. So those are two commodities that could have, could have at least fetched you a, a marginal return that you could have done something with. Yep. Um, uh, Simmons is not going to. But, but He's probably stuck here, and that may not be a bad thing. Cause
0: he, well, I heard rumors he doesn't him. want to leave. Anyways, he wants to stay in New Jersey. He wants to help he's, see it through. So.
1: Yeah, he he's kind. For what it's worth, and and I and I talked I talked. Geez, I just talked to Wayne on Tuesday night. Um, you know, other than our amusement of him seeing an O O L N. Yes, that's right, an O L N puck and a versus puck, which he could not believe. Um, those, those are still in existence. Uh, one of the things he did definitely say was he wants to stay in New Jersey. And it seems like right now management does not mind that idea, uh, obviously at a, a lower uh, lower rate, but you know, it seems to work out. Then you go into some of the other players. Uh, you know, PKC Band's not going anywhere. It's just it's, it's it's not practical. Even if you half do a half retain, that's still four and a half million dollars. It's, it's just it's wasteful. And he is starting to play better. So why would you why would you trade him when he's starting to finally play better?
0: Unless you unless you can recoup something that arguably could right. be better, and you can have the assets for it. The only team that I think of, and I mean I'm biased here, but you know if the Toronto Maple Leafs did the, the the retain at four and a half or whatever, and you send back Cody Cc. And then you you get it you know give New oh, Jersey an asset like uh, like a Kapanen or a draft pick or something, but a lot of Leaf fans have poo pooed it because of uh, you know Subban's yeah. bad play and and rumored from Elliot Freeman bad back. So
1: yeah, there is there is a little bit. Of, yeah, he he we can say it now. Uh, he definitely had some back issues early in the season. There's no doubt about it. It happened. I mean, players play think they can play through it.
0: Um, there's a lot yeah, of people maybe, that have maybe. been very high on him, Ian Tulloch concluded. Yeah,
1: and I don't see it. I mean, maybe maybe because we've seen too much of Severson in New Jersey, but for as good as he can be, there's just too many, there's too many lapses. Got you, you really want it, you really want an even worse Jake Gardner?
0: But, I mean, if you it's, it goes back to the old argument, too. Some players, if they're playing too much, like right now, Cody he looks exposed on the Maple Leafs because you play him too much. But if you look at a player and you give him less for role, you know, he can be effective. When CC was on the third pair in Toronto, you know, he was effective. So, I mean, if you take Severson and cut his minutes and don't leave him so exposed, maybe he might be that ideal player that you need. But sometimes when you, you open a guy up to more time and more minutes, then they get that exposed thing. And, yeah, it ends up looking like he's not exactly what you want him to be. And sometimes, I guess, again, like you said, that goes into coaching and putting a guy in a position to succeed, not to fail.
1: Exactly, and and Severson's kind of been a mixed bag in that in that sense. He's been he's been his minutes have been pulled back back and forth uh, over the last several years, several years, at least at least in segments. And we, we took a look at the uh, la- last year in particular. Uh, this is where this is where it gets interesting. The last two years he's played more, and. Yeah, he was a little bit exposed, but I can go back two seasons before that where he was even worse. So it's one, it's one of those things where if you sat there and said, okay, well, you know, last two years he's played 22 minutes and change and such, and he's being repeatedly exposed. That's one thing. But he's actually slipped back this year. He's even worse. Yeah, his shooting percentage is okay. Uh, last three seasons that's been that's laughably been his one calling card his shooting percentage has been in the mid-seventh over the past three seasons but now he's shooting less again he's hitting the net less so it's like you you get one part and then you get the other and
0: uh, not a combined feature
1: yeah and then and then again you you have the fact that he's not necessarily disciplined Uh, he's Scored on his own net. Um, you know, he, he makes too many plays at the wrong time, or tries to be too playful with the puck at the worst time. Uh, co- coaches have tried to correct this over and over, and it keeps happening. And at some point, you sit there and go, "Well, maybe you know he's a million-dollar player with a two-cent head at times." <laughs> and it's, you
0: know,
1: it's just a fact. Yep. I mean, everything has dropped there. They even slid him back to the second unit power play, because he couldn't handle the top power play unit role, especially towards the end of last year. And the results have reflected. So, could a change of scenery help? Yeah, it could. Um, But he has to get it in in his head, and no way else. That This is almost it. I mean, the the time, time is getting close. If it's not next, if it's not this year, It's either over the summer or sometime next year. If he doesn't get it together, he's gone. So, you know, there's that. And then there's, of course, the one big one, and that's Kyle Palmieri. Now, look, by all accounts, it looks like Palmieri is staying in New Jersey unless somebody comes and wows New Jersey with a first-round pick, a good prospect, and or a player.
0: I heard Boston was looking in on him.
1: They're trying, they're trying, but <laughs> is Don the problem? Is Don is Don Sweeney actually going to sit there and, and, and put that first round pick on the table?
0: Yeah, he's if he gets desperate enough, depends on what Boston does. Yeah,
1: he gets desperate enough, but he got better with Rick Nash pretty good.
0: Um, yeah, but I mean, he, if you looked at Rick Nash at the time they were trading for Rick Nash, and all the things that he has been through. I mean, you almost know what you were getting at that point, right? I mean, you weren't getting the dominant Rick Nash of old. You were getting the Rick Nash that has miles. So, I mean, you you half expect that, yes, you're going to get something up, but what are you exactly getting? There is, You know, it goes back to all the way that you look at all the times that Bill Guerin was traded or you look at the times that Doug Waite was traded. You know, you're getting an older-aged veteran that is basically name recognition almost and a leader. It's what you're getting. You're not getting no. a high point guy cuz those don't come available usually at the trade deadline. Like getting a Taylor Hall like Arizona did, those guys don't come available very often like that. So, no, you know, no. especially during the season, and, so.
1: And people have to keep in mind, too, that Arizona was not getting a 100% Taylor Hall either.
0: Oh no, for sure.
1: And 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 here's the other thing. You're not getting a 100% Kyle Palmer either. His, his foot is definitely banged up. I mean, it's probably something that he's going to have to have worked in the off season. Because I don't know how many block more block shots that thing can take. Um, we we kind of saw it Tuesday a little bit, you know, where it's like, yeah, you, know, you see the bruise, and it's like, ow, okay, uh, fair enough. And, but at, at the same time, that that's the one that's the biggest commodity that the Devils devil, devil currently so you have. So he has to work at it and that sense.
0: So what do the Devils do at the deadline um, for, you, for you to be satisfied and moving forward think that next year will be different? Um, the one thing I think they need to add for sure is a, is a goaltender um, somehow, some way, whether it's free agency or via trade. But what do they have to do through the trade deadline and the end of the season to, to give everyone hope for next season?
1: They need to at least show that they can recoup some some, some of the draft picks they lost, especially the middle ones, um, i.e., the, the, the ones, say, the second or third rounders from the Johansson and Grabner traits, et cetera, in um, that kind of mold. That's, that's one part. The other part is obviously, yes, yeah, they need a backup goaltender. Um, Kenzie Blackwood cannot play 55, 60 games in a season, at least not yet. And you'll see that because Saturday he's not starting against Dallas. There's there's no way. Um, you know, work, workload management has been something that's been heavily talked about by Elaine Nazardine, for what it's worth. As I, as I like to call him, the, the caretaker coach. Now, <laughs> at least in the cold summer. You know, not just interim. We'll call him caretaker. Um, but his, his opinion has gained some respect and has gained some of, more of my respect, to be honest. Uh, more as a head coach than as an assistant over the, over the last month or so. Now, a couple of the other things that they need definitely to do, they, they need to see more from their younger prospects and players. Uh, so far, this, this Arizona trade is really working out for New Jersey in ways that people may not have understood. Uh, you know, Guys like Merkley and Schnarr have been great. It's allowed it's a, a guy like Jesper Bowcliffe to go down into the AHL and get the minutes that he and, and start and start to dominate the way that you know, people thought that he might be able to. Um, you know, Kevin Ball has some playmaking talent that seemingly Arizona just never acknowledged uh, for, for whatever reason. He played way better in the second half of this season. You, you, you look at some of the prospects and go, hmm, okay. And then there's Tice Thompson from Little Providence College, which the people are like, who? They're like, oh, yeah, middle-round draft pick that everybody was dead panicked from New Jersey last year. Well, he's got 39 points in his first 25 games at Providence. Uh, and, look, I understand. It's NCAA. I, I, you know, I know it's not on the level of the WHL and OHL necessarily. He's putting up over a point and a half a game in the East Coast Athletic Conference, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, it's usually a more defensive minded conference, if anything. And he's scoring goals goals, and setting up players at a prolific rate. Uh, you know, I know I've seen some of the prospect ranking lists out there. I saw, uh, you know, Carl Wheeler from the Athletic yesterday. I saw he had the Devils ranked 17th and I saw the caveat as well that he had, that they probably should be higher. And part of that reason is these guys like Merkley, Schnarr, Thompson, uh, Nikita Pesic, etc. There are guys that the Devils drafted over the last two to three seasons that are absolute highway robbery steals. That will make up for some of the head-scratchers that they've had, i.e. Pavel Zaka from the Shiro error quote unquote it just just has to be it has to be said I mean it's one of those things where you you, you look for the draft history the last 10 years and this is part of the reason why the Devils were at where they were and continue to be at where they are because it takes four, five, six years to dig out of something like this even partially and then when you don't get the results on top of it you have to do it again unfortunately
0: what the Devils are now stuck with. No, I 100% agree. And you know what? I want the New Jersey Devils to do well, because when the New Jersey team's doing well, it, it leads into the rivalry with the Rangers and the Islanders and all of that excitement that goes on with those three teams. So to see New Jersey on the outside looking in and looking bleak is, is never fun. Um, I don't have a whole lot of love for New Jersey being a Leaf fan. Um, obviously, you know, you guys put us out of the playoffs a, a couple of times, and we had the beautiful, uh, Domi Niedemeyer and all that stuff happening, so, um, I want to see you guys do well, and I want to see it turned on, but not against the Leafs, that's all.
1: But <laughs> so you, you don't want to see them allow six shots to the Maple Leafs ever, ever again in a playoff game,
0: huh? No, never. Not in my lifetime, anyways.
1: It still is the ultimate, it, it actually... It's, it's it's not sad to say necessarily, but it is in a way. That is actually showed in some defensive training tapes. I, and the only reason why I saw this because Chris Drury once popped it in during a uh, defensive video session. Um, you know, obviously, he got named to be the uh, general manager of the U.S. Uh, men's team uh, for next for, next, for the season did do that once. He popped in and said this is the quintessential defensive tape on how to play defense in the playoffs. And made every kid watch this. And the first thing they said was like, was Toronto even allowed to skate that night? And he's like, you watch the videotape. You now, they were hemmed in every corner. And they were hemmed in in their own zone. At least seventy percent of the time, which is almost unheard of, it, he, he equated it to North Carolina playing four corners, basically playing four corners with just a little bit of an offensive forecheck
0: yeah. for an
1: entire sixty minutes. It was—it's it, something that you'll never see again.
0: No, I don't think you ever will, and it was. It was hard to stomach and hard to watch at the time, and and I'm not looking forward or wanting to have any reprise of that either. So no, that, that can no, all stay in the past. It. But to speak of the Maple Leafs, I have to ask you, this season yeah. they obviously came in with a lot of uh, fanfare themselves, um, you know, getting Tyson Berry, Kerfoot. obviously John Tavares' big year, Mitch Marner was finally signed. Everybody was there. The band was together. Nylander was supposed to go to New Heights, which he is. But the team, for whatever reason, under Babcock, did not respond. Obviously, they have a new life under Keefe. I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on the first bit of the season and the second bit of the season for the Toronto Maple Leafs so far?
1: It's weird because if, you know, in another case where probably the head coach was held on to just a little bit too long or a lot, depending on, you know, how, how you look at it, at least nation. Um, it's a clear night and day difference with, with Keith, Keith compared to Southcock. And you knew it was going to be. There wasn't much of a dispute here. You saw one coach just fighting his – almost fighting his team for the last year and a half, two years. As opposed to Sheldon Keith who said, hey, you know what? I got this. I got this player. I got this. One. Just turn him loose. I'll, I'll worry about the defensive part later. And that's just, in a sense, that's what he did. They played a little more responsibly. Um, maybe the numbers don't reflect that necessarily, but the best defense sometimes is a good offense. And that is how Toronto has to play this for the rest of the year, at least until they can do something in the offseason to rectify the defense. They, they have to play this way. And... The, the, rec- the record just shows. I mean, I think it was like 16-62 over the last 24 games or something like that for, for the Maple Leafs. And, you know, at the, at, the, at, the, at the quarter mark, they were just dangling around 500, which you just can't you, – you, you're not going to make the playoff. No. In the East, as it's been proven, I mean, Leafs are 10 over 500 right now, and they're still right smack dab in the middle of that bubble. Some of that's because they still have some of the same tendencies and problems, but at least, at least they're, they're playing at a higher tempo, and they're getting players the minutes that they should have been getting all along. I mean, look, William Nielander's been much better uh, in, 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 in year dose of, of his deal. And that was almost expected. You could see even late last year there were signs that he was going to bounce out of it and be just fine. There, was, there was not much of a worry uh, with him. You, you knew that. Okay, Austin Matthews was going to get above forty goals this year.
0: Oh, for sure. That,
1: that was a given. Yeah, that was just that was just automatic. Um, matter of fact, it's it's funny because the first year he was in the league, he led the league in even straight goal. He's probably going to do that again this year. I think he's on rough math pace. I think he's on pace for 42 even strength goals, which, yes, means he was, he's still on pace for more than 50 Yeah. Uh, overall. but I think his last seconds. check was 57
0: he was on pace for.
1: Yep, yep. And, you know, you look at some of the other things that he's improved on, the fatal percentage is above 55% for the first time in his career. I know two years ago it was 55 almost the whole way through, and then the last few weeks something happened. I, I, no one knows. Um, you know, maybe it's because he was turning 21. I, who knows the reason for this? Uh, but it's not a it's not an accident why a guy like Austin Matthews is a perennial top 10 Lady Ben candidate, and I'd argue this year probably top five at least as far as the heart, if not. Higher. You know, it's, going to, it's going to depend on what shakes out over the final 30 games or so of the season. But he's put, you know, he's put himself in well in position uh, to have all sorts of individual accolades be, be bestowed upon him. And, and his other peripheral numbers have been consistent. So uh, not, nothing much has changed. Uh, the one thing I will notice for people that are listening. Austin Matthews is almost at that magical four-shot game mark. He's very close. It's like three point nine eight. I mean, the Russian judge would just give it a four and go, go <laughs> along with it. But this is basically about the shot rate that most people were starting to expect out of a Matthews at this stage of his career, and it's only going to trend upward as he goes along, and that's that's very encouraging for anybody who owns Austin Matthews in keeper leagues and is lucky to have hit the golden boot. Uh, you know that's, that's, that's something to look at now. You go and you look at the flip side of this, and I, I know I'm going to hear this from people. It's going to hurt a little bit, but for every Matthews there is the player that's not playing as well but yet is still playing pretty well, and that would be John Tavares.
0: I, I agree with you 100%.
1: He's playing better than most people realize. Is look, people have to relax a little bit. You, you look at some of the numbers and you go, okay, all right, this drop, that drop, whatever. Okay, was well, he going to score forty-seven goals this year? Probably not. No, the Toronto dynamic's different. That's that's what has to be realized. Um, did you expect him to say get eighty points? Yeah. Somewhere in there, and if he had played a full season,
0: probably be there. Yeah, you know,
1: he'd still be—he'd still be darn close. Would he? See, he's around seventy-five points. Are you going to say that's the end of the world now?
0: No, definitely uh, not. I mean, he,
1: but because he—you figure because he missed seven, eight games, you know, his numbers are going to be thrown a little bit, little bit off at that point. And yet, despite that, it's not horrible and terrible and doom and gloom like everybody, everybody thinks still consistent. His his face-offs are excellent. His secondary numbers are are still very good. Um, You know, you argue maybe the shot volume's been a little bit erratic under Sheldon Keith, but it's weirdly about the same as it was under Babcock overall. So there hasn't been too much of a change there. Uh, Some defensive lapses that you know, maybe aren't normal for Tavares, and some would say, no, that's not true either, because if you watch the games from the Islanders when he was, you know, playing, even in his prime there, he had those moments, too. It just happened. It's one of those things. So, from a fantasy standpoint, he is fine. I guarantee next year he comes back, he scores 30 goals again, has probably 50, 55 assists, and nobody's even talking
0: about now. Well look at it this year. You look at this gentleman who who had the injury obviously, but also became a first time father. I don't know about you, but when I became a dad there was a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of yep. anxiety over certain things, especially when you are not with your child and you're traveling away, you wonder what's happening back home, is this, that, this and the other. So it gets into your head a little bit and you have to wonder if those things affected him this season becoming a new dad, having the injury, everything all at once, you know, and then you come back and you're not performing to top notch. And then all of a sudden the fans that once lauded you are starting to turn a little bit like, Hey, you're making $11 million. You should be doing X, Y, and Z every night of the week, you know, not counting in the fact that this person's actually a human being. And there are other factors outside of hockey that may contribute to him Having a little bit of a down year—not that becoming a parent is a down thing—but it definitely does draw your attention and draw your focus. And obviously, like I said, sleepless nights are abound.
1: Yeah, Don, Jonathan, Jonathan Quick did this after his, his, uh, you know, after he had his first child. What a sleep! <laughs> I, I still, I still remember. I still remember. And I will not forget this. Uh, Dennis Dennis Bernstein, in the fourth period, asked him, you know, how are you coping with being a new dad? And he's like, and his response was, what is sleep? Yep. I mean, it, and that's all you need to know. And, yeah, other things have fallen off in his game, etc. The things have fallen off. But that was that was sort of the beginning of, of, of the end. And, you know, he had a little bit of a bounce back later later that year and early the following year before things went really south. But, you know, it, it has an effect. And it has a noticeable effect. Especially for first-time parents.
0: Nope. Uh, like I said, I can attest things. to it myself. I, I know what it was like. Uh, and I'm just, uh, I just—I have a two-year-old like now, so we're not far removed.
1: My, my, is a great example of this, my next-door neighbors. i am got parents their kids. And I I swear, sometimes their brains are just gone. They're they're not, it's it's not there. They're just just not. And you sit and you look and you go, oh, I know why. (laughs) Two kids at the same time, and it's like, one was bad enough and the second was even worse. wow, oh, oh my God. So, I guess sometimes when we're in the industry, there are things that we take for granted, and there are some things that we go, hey, I can relate to that. Yeah. And you can sit there and talk to a player, and, I, and I've done it with, with, with a few of them, and it's pretty, pretty amusing to talk to the, some of the first-time dads of the Devils, and they sit there and they go, and I was like, yeah, I, I can relate to that. I, I understand that well. And they're like, really? It's like, yeah, it's not an easy process. I was like, think for a writer. It's even worse, because we're sitting there, and it's like we have to write all these things, and then we realize, oh, we're living it too. <laughs> mm. That's that's rough. Okay, we, we understand now. We'll, we'll we'll go a little. Uh, and I've said it to a couple of players. Like, yeah, I'll go. You know, sorry, I didn't realize it. You know, didn't know it was. It didn't.
0: I mean, we had we had a, There
1: was a player a few years ago. I I, I never try to name names with this because it's just out of respect. Yep. But his his wife had a rough pregnancy, and we had no clue. I couldn't imagine why for, like, about five or six weeks, his production just plummeted. And we figured it was on the ice. It, you know, it was logical because it, was, it wasn't just over a period of, like, four or five games. This is a period of, like, 15, 16, 17 games. Yeah. A significant segment of the season. Yeah. And, wow, and you go, hmm, okay, fair enough. Less than one.
0: Yeah, well, like you said, I mean, I have a 7-year-old, 2-year-old, 2 dogs, obviously, full-time job, do this on the side, and then, of course, my wife owns her own business. So, you know, you take into a factor, you have a hockey player who's dedicated to his craft, then you have your home life and whatever's going on there, plus whatever else you're into, and then your children on top of that, your mind, like you said, can go to mush, and it's just, it's not even, like you wouldn't even call it writer's block, it's just a fog. You're just in a fog, and your body just does what it can to maneuver through the day, but there's no extra going on. And, you know, you can sympathize with a guy that, okay, I know where you're at. You need to sleep. And when you get some sleep, we'll talk because otherwise it's just going to be incoherent talking. But I have to... I have to... Oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, go right ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I have to ask, with the Maple Leafs, obviously, they're still, even with the two victories they've gotten over Nashville and Dallas, they're still... On the outside looking in, do you have them pegged as a playoff team this season?
1: They are in. They're in.
0: That was confident. They,
1: they, 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 will, they, will, they will beat out one of those three teams, three or three, four teams from the Metro. That, that's, and that only one, one of New York, Columbus, Carolina, or Philadelphia is going to flip up somewhere. I don't know if it's going to be Florida, because Florida right now has kind of a winning, isn't a, uh, so much what you would call a uh, winning rhythm as much as they are figuring out ways to win. And that's, that was that was important for a Florida team that could not do that last year.
0: Well, I think so, having a goaltender that's your backbone that you can have a little bit of confidence in, even though he hasn't had the best season, but you know what Bobrovsky can bring you. I think that leads to guys feeling a little bit better.
1: Better, it helps, and you know, he tends to have better second halves anyway. And tend to think that the worst is behind them. You hope, <laughs> uh, if you're Florida, and it seems like every backup they put in seems to magically just perform halfway decently enough that they can they can score enough goals. I mean, look, if you took if you took Toronto and Florida. and just took a quick microscope look at them. It's almost one in the same team at times. That's true. Uh, pro- 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 prolific offense, great power play. Uh, give up a ton of shots, though. And unfortunately, give up quite a few goals. Uh, but they're right at that. They're right at that second level in the East, where it's like you know one or two, one or two moves, or they start to play a little bit better, and they're. they're it's not as if it's impossible. I mean, look, for what it's worth, it's not that they will catch Boston. They're only nine points out of first place. It's not a lot in the Atlantic.
0: No. Because, look,
1: Tampa look, Tampa Bay a month ago was 17 points out of first, and then now just five. And they have a game in hand.
0: I'm putting together another Even, run well, for the Maple Leafs might be the best option.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy, but true. And and that's how that's how people have to look. Turn. Yes, looking down, okay. You know, you want a little bit of perspective, but I start looking up more more than down at this point. The team is team is okay where where they are right now. If they keep playing at the pace they are eventually
0: some of these teams that have been surging will
1: fall back a little bit. No,
0: I tend to One of the the, um, things that I did beginning of the season, I'm going to ask you this straight out because I want to know where you dabble in fantasy and everything else. I took a hundred dollar bet that the Toronto Maple Leafs would finish with more points than the Philadelphia Flyers. Was I a fool? And am I going to have to pay up some money come the end of the season?
1: I'm going to say you're going to be okay. You will. You will get your hundred dollars.
0: <laughs> you're you're now, the second person to reassure me of that, so I'm starting to feel a little bit better.
1: You should. You should start to feel a little better. Uh, don't know if you read the news from earlier in the morning, but Carter Hart will be out at least another week to ten days, which mm. means more, more, more Brian Elliott, which I'm sure will make. You know, I mean, yeah, you might get one win against Pittsburgh, but after that, well. Eh. It's not, it's not It's not. the most optimal thing. And the other good thing for uh, Toronto fans is Philadelphia has a more even split of home and road games over the second half of the season, and Carter Hart has a goals-against average of 4.01 and a save percentage of 8.50 on the road.
0: That's something that needs to come up if he wants to contend as a starting goaltender full-time. Yep, that's a big problem. That is wow! I didn't know that. Those are some numbers that I can yeah. throw back at my uh, my man I made the bet with.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he's got he's got to be at least a little bit concerned with that part of uh, aspect of the uh, equation.
0: No, definitely. Well, I am looking forward to the rest of the season. Um, thank you very much for finally jumping on with me, Chris. And I hope to have you on yet again throughout uh, the end of this season. Uh, where can everybody find your work and find you and make sure they tune into what you're doing?
1: Ah, the fun part, all the things that I do. Um, you can you can find me over in quite a few places. You can find me over at, at com with, with Peter Harling and Tony Ferrari and all the guys. Uh, it's, um, it's a lot of fun and a ton of good debate all, all season long with prospects in the upcoming 2020 NHL draft. And we'll have a little bit on the trade deadline of where the prospects are going, et cetera, for various teams. Uh, you can also find me over at Oslo.com doing daily fantasy advice. And occasionally, every so often, and the easiest way to get a hold of me always, is just find me on Twitter at Chris DFS where you can just see all the places I write. It's much easier that way. Listening <laughs> stuff, it gets too long, and, and people, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. you, know, when you write for that many places, people will just think, oh, this guy's got a freaking ego the size of Alaska. No, never did, never will. I enjoy I enjoy talking hockey with people and sports in general. It's, it's more fun because, hey, I'm inevitably going to learn something from them that I probably didn't know before, and I would rather keep learning than stop. So it's
0: always a good thing. That's the truth. My grandfather always said if you can learn something every day, you're in a good spot. So I appreciate it. I learned a lot today from you, my friend, and I look forward to speaking with you again down the road
1: absolutely it was a great time as
0: always so as you heard that was Chris Wazel he is a great writer he does the prospects on Dauber fantasy hockey he is a knower of all things especially of the New Jersey Devils great conversation there hope you guys enjoyed it we'll be getting into more with him hopefully throughout the season All right, guys have yourself a good one